Welcome to the Highland Church Podcast, where we share biblical teaching to glorify God and to bless you. This year, we're talking about my part, God's plan. God has a purpose for you, and that purpose is a part of God's bigger plan for the world. Now, if you connect with what you hear today, I hope you'll join us online Sundays at 10 a.m., or that you'll join us on-site right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, let's jump into today's teaching, and don't forget, you're part of God's Hey, good morning, church. We're going to be in Genesis 22. If you want to turn there, you can. Genesis, first book in the Bible. If you're our guest today, don't have a Bible, don't even worry about it. It's going to be on the screen behind me. If you're watching online, thanks for joining us online. And the scriptures are going to be at the bottom of the screen. You don't even have to worry about it. During the Easter week, of course, what we think about on this Sunday, the, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, which you heard read a second ago. And then come Friday, Jesus' death on the cross, what we call Good Friday. And as we look in the word of God and try to understand what the cross of Jesus is about, this story is very important. And so this is far removed in terms of time. You know, this is ages before the story of Genesis, but I think you'll see that it helps us to understand the cross. This is Genesis 22, starting in verse one. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then God's son, take your son. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love. First time in scripture that word appears. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. And go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, I'll show you. Early the next morning. You can't think about your own kids when you're reading a story like this. Woo. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, he loaded his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his, and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he said, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw a place in the distance and he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey. Well, I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. He placed it on his son, Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and he said to his father, Abraham, father, father, yes, my son, literally here I am again. Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, pay attention to this. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and he arranged the wood on it and he bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand, he took the knife to slay his son. The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he says again. Do not lay your hand on the boy, he said. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not. 
It's been a while since I've cried. I just felt like it's probably time. You've not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram. Caught by its horns, he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it'll be provided. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word that is ageless and speaks to us even across the centuries. And I pray, God, that it would speak to us this morning. To that end, I pray that you would speak through me, your servant. Would you bring a word for these people through me this morning? I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. How many years of therapy do you think Isaac had after this? You know, we talk about the father wound, you know, trying to decide if he's going to come home for Thanksgiving this year. And he's like, Mom, there was that time. Um, this is not an example of what it means to be a good dad. Okay, uh, that's, that's not what this story is about. In fact, this defies everything we think about what it means to be a parent. What a dad is supposed to do is to provide for, to protect their child. There's this story that's almost a legend in the Gentry family. My dad would drop my sister off at school. My mom would drop me off. We were going to different schools at the time. And so it's early one morning and dad's on his way to school with my sister. And you know how it is when you're in high school, it's probably especially for the ladies that you have worked really hard to kind of perfectly cultivate your image for the day, right? And so that's my sister. She's been in the bathroom for an hour or two, hogging it. It was a source of endless fights between us, right? But they finally are on their way to school. She's looking good, but then she sneezes right as they're pulling through the drive-through line. And I'm not gonna get graphic with this. It's, I'm just gonna say it's one of those sneezes where everything inside your head and nose is now outside your head and nose. You know, in your hands, on your lips, just all over the place, okay? And this was back when you could sneeze and everyone didn't hate you. <laughs> you remember those times? But of course she's got this mess and so she's looking around in the car for a tissue, there's no tissues. There's no napkins anywhere in the car. There's not even like a piece of trash, a paper bag for her to wipe her hands on. So she looks over at my dad, looks him up and down and dad just takes off his shirt, hands it to my sister and she cleans herself up. She's gonna love that I told this story. <laughs> And so dad drives through the car through line shirtless, <laughs> drives straight to church for an elders meeting, <laughs> has to walk into the church shirtless to go to his office where he had some extra shirts hanging up. That's what a dad is supposed to do, right? Just to sacrifice for your kid, protect your kid, give your kid whatever they need. And that is not Abraham here. It's not Abraham. When Abraham's son, Isaac, when his well-being is on the line, Abraham is silent or nearly so. All Abraham says here in this story to God are the words, here I am, here I am. In fact, after God tells him to take his son to the region that he'll show him and sacrifice him there, Abraham doesn't say anything, he's silent. And this is the same Abraham, I mean, let, let me point it out to you. This is the same Abraham who is known for his gift of negotiation. 
In Genesis 13, he negotiates with his family. In Genesis 14, he negotiates with allies. In Genesis 20, he negotiates with princes. And in Genesis 18, he negotiates with God. Remember this for Sodom and Gomorrah? Don't wipe them out, Lord. What if there's a few righteous people there? This is Abraham, the great negotiator. And when God tells him, to sacrifice his own son, all we're told is early the next morning, he got up and loaded up and left early the next morning. Now, don't you think this is the morning you might sleep in? Now, don't you think this is the morning you might look at the weather app and say, it's gonna rain in three days, we should probably just stay. Oh, but with tires a little low this morning, we'll get to it tomorrow. None of that, no negotiation. He just gets up, loads up, grabs Isaac, and they go. Which, I mean, is, is a helpful reminder this is not a story about fatherhood. Not every story we have in scripture is an example. But it is an example in, in faith and what it means to have faith. You know, throughout the centuries as people have thought about what it means to have faith, to be obedient to the Lord, one of the things that has stood out is are you willing to do what the Lord calls you to do when it doesn't make any sense? When you don't know why God would be calling you to do this thing. I mean, recognize that Isaac for Abraham represents the fulfillment of a promise he has waited 25 years on from the Lord. This is everything that he has waited on for the Lord in this boy. Now God's asking him to sacrifice him? It doesn't make any sense. And look again at the story. We're not told why. God doesn't say, this is why I want you to go and sacrifice Isaac, because I'm doing all these other things in the world. I'm working for this greater good. Trust me, this is going to be great. For all these reasons, none of that is given. He's just told to go, and he goes. Well, that's a story about faith. In fact, that's what James says. Do you remember this passage in James chapter 2? So he looks back at this moment. Now, this is a different moment than Paul looks at. And we talked about the moments in Abraham's story that are most significant for Paul. This is not the most significant for Paul, but for James it is. Look what James says. He says, show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham, had many sons, uh, was, not, <laughs> was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. We talked a couple weeks ago about what Paul says in Romans 4 that, that God's faith, the faith that you and I experience is a gift from him so that it may all be by grace. And I think James would say, yes. But I think he would say, if your faith hasn't produced in you radical submission and obedience to God, even when it doesn't make sense, it's not much of a faith. Say, so, so show me your faith. All right, 
read this story about Abraham and his willingness to go, here I am. I think about Mary. Remember Mary, the mother of Jesus? She's this teenage girl. She's got her whole life ahead of her. She's engaged. Do you remember how fun it is when you're planning that wedding, looking forward to that, going to pick out the dress, picking out the invitations and all that? She's got her whole life ahead of her. And then in the middle of the night, she didn't ask for this. In the middle of the night, an angel comes to her and says, guess what? You're pregnant. God's the dad. You're going to carry the savior of the world. This is scandalous for her. This is not good news for her. It's good news for us. It is bad news for Mary. You remember what she says? Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Hmm. I think, what if that was your attitude? What if that was my attitude? Every time I open the word, every time I went here? What if that was my attitude every time I prayed? What, what if that was my attitude every time I came to church to worship, to listen to a sermon? Like you came not only expectant that you might hear from the Lord, but ready to submit to whatever the Lord places on your heart. Here I am, Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I, I, I'm reading all about revivals and how revival takes place. And we're experiencing the taste of revival here at Highland right now. And it is a sweet thing. A lot of people think it's like the preachers are what are, who are remembered in great revivals throughout the centuries, like Jonathan Edwards and, other in American, uh, and others in America's great revivals. But everybody who writes about revival says it's not the preaching itself that produces the revival. It's the hearts of the people listening. That something happens in the hearts of the listeners that they actually come to hear a word from the Lord that's for them and then to do it, to believe it. I mean, what if that was our attitude every time? This is a story about faith. But let me shift here. To say this is a story about faith, I think, is to hit the target, but not, not to hit the bullseye. You get what I'm saying? Like, it's to come close to what it's about, but it's not to really hit it. I think above all, this story of Abraham and Isaac is not a story about Abraham and Isaac, it's a story about God. Do you remember in Genesis 12, who starts Abraham's story? Do you remember? God. God speaks to Abraham in Genesis 12. Abraham's a nobody, he's just minding his business and God comes to him and he says, leave your country, your people, your father's house and go to the land, I'll show you. God starts his story. In Genesis 22, who starts this scene with Isaac? Do you remember? God, who speaks to Abraham unexpectedly out of the nothingness. And listen to what he says. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the mountain I'll tell you about. Do you hear the parallel between those two instructions from God? You know, both sides of Abraham's story, his beginning and his end, who's it about? God. It's about God. His whole life, everything that he's done in his life, everything he's doing on this mountain, the Mount Moriah, everything that he's done in his whole life is about who? God. God brackets and bookends his whole story. And when your whole life is about God, you know the question you're asking above all? Who is this God? Who is he? 
I think that's the real question behind Isaac's question when he says, Dad? Where's the lamb? God has asked us to come here and to sacrifice. Where's the lamb? Who is this God? I want you to pay attention to the two most important passages in this story. Look at this. Verse 8, Abraham's response. When his son asked, who is this God? Where's the lamb? This is what he said. God himself will provide the lamb. And then the story goes on, and there in the thicket, there is a ram, and he's not commanded to sacrifice his son. After all, the, the angel stops him, pulls the dagger back, the ram is provided. And this is what Abraham says, summarizes the whole story, most important line. He said, so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it'll be provided. The Lord will provide. What Abraham's doing right here is not only naming a place, he's naming God. Have you ever heard the, the term Jireh? Have you ever heard that? Jehovah Jireh, have you ever heard that? That's, that's actually right here in this text. This, that's where this name for the Lord comes from. Jehovah Jireh means the God who sees or the Lord who will provide, sees what I need, and gives me what I need. There's this song on the radio, have you heard it? Jireh by Maverick City Music and Elevation Worship. Have y'all heard that song? You can raise your hand if you've heard that song. Yeah, you've heard that song. It's one of my favorite songs right now. It's a whole song about being content because the Lord will provide. And when that song came out, we were in the, the middle of a really bad wave of COVID-19. And, um, you know, leading a church through a pandemic is not like what I signed up for. And uh, it is, it's been a challenge. And I'll tell you, when that song came on and I heard it for the first time, the Lord will provide, I was, I, I was, well, I was crying like I was a few seconds ago. I listened to it 20 times. I mean, I needed to hear it in that moment. And so the next day I did a staff devotional on the Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh. And I made the whole staff listen to the song and they weren't crying. And I said, we're going to listen to it again. <laughs> Jim Martin, he's a friend of mine here. He's the vice president at Harding School of Theology. Preached for decades before that. Jim was here a couple Sundays ago and Buster Clemens got up to do the announcements at the beginning of worship. You may remember this. Buster shared about a, a friend of his, a co-minister at another church who had received a tough diagnosis. And so he, he prayed for him at the beginning of worship. You may remember this. And after the prayer, Buster said, and almost in an off-handed way, but he said, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. And Jim said, at that moment, he took out this little journal in his pocket and he wrote that down. The Lord will provide. And he said, Eric, I have not only preached that sermon, I've preached whole series on that. I've read every book on that. Eric, I know the Lord will provide. But this morning, that was what I needed to hear. The Lord will provide. You know what that's like? I mean, you know what it's like to be facing that situation that does not make sense to you. 
where it seems like what God is doing is, is not only confusing, but in some ways self-contradictory. God, how could this possibly be good for you and your purposes for this thing to happen? And in that moment, you know what you need to hear? The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. I'm thinking about that a lot these days as it relates to what's happening in Ukraine where we have a long-standing relationship where we support a church there and an education center, a nonprofit there doing great gospel-centered work. That country's torn apart by war. Our missionary who's still in Ukraine has COVID right now. So a friend of mine from this church, you all know him well, came to my office the other day. And he's an older gentleman and he said, Eric, this has been really hard on me, this Ukraine thing. He said, I've been... I've been praying about this more than I've ever prayed about anything else in my life. Why has God not resolved this? And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I will tell you, and I, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, that our, that our church has now raised over $50,000 that we have sent to Ukraine, to our missionaries there. And yeah, that's, celebrate that, that's huge. In fact, that number is higher now. I didn't get a count this morning, but that number is higher now. It keeps climbing. I want to take just a moment to tell you what's happening with that money. So some of that money is going to our missionary who's outside of Kiev in, in, in another town. I'm not going to say it on broadcast, but who spends every day shuttling people to the border, okay, buying food and gas uh, and medical supplies for those people each day and coming back. Some of that money has been directly deposited into the accounts of Ukrainian brothers and sisters we know who have not had a way to make money for over a month now and can't buy food. Made direct deposits into their accounts to buy food and medicine that we know that they need. Some of that money was set aside to turn a church building that's halfway from Kiev to the Western border, turn a church that we have a relationship with into a hostel. So now as folks are coming from the east side of Ukraine to the west, they can stop here and be fed several meals if they want and stay overnight for free. That's part of what that money is doing. Some of that money has gone into our nonprofit and through that nonprofit, that money along with money from seven other churches has blessed 892 different Ukrainians. Okay, through the money that you're giving. $50,000 is not gonna stop this war. But there's somebody in Ukraine right now who cannot understand why this is happening, cannot make sense of God in this moment. And because of this little church in Memphis, Tennessee, they're gonna have this moment where they realize the Lord will provide. Think about that. That's why we're doing it. Now I said, you know, to say this is a story about faith is to hit the target, not the bullseye. To hit the bullseye is to say, this is a story about the Lord who will provide. But to drive that arrow home is to read this story along with Christians who have read this story for centuries. Christians who, at the beginning of the church, you know, the moment that Jesus dies and is raised on Easter, the very beginning of this movement that we call the church, Christians who did not have the New Testament yet and start going back to the only scripture they have, which is Genesis and the rest of the Old Testament, trying to make sense of what just happened with this guy, Jesus, who died on the cross for them. And they're pouring over stories, trying to make sense of them. And you know what story stands out above all the rest in the Old Testament, perhaps? Genesis 22. In fact, 
On Friday, Good Friday, when we remember the death of Jesus, the assigned readings for the church globally, so the, the readings Christians will do all over the world, are the gospel readings of Jesus' death on the cross and Genesis 22. Let me just show you why some of the things that stood out to those early Christians, why this story meant so much to them. Look at this. Did you notice how long it takes for them to get to the mountain on the third day? Third day, three days. So of course, people on the other side of Easter are trying to make sense of what just happened over three days. And so a story like this stands out to them. What about Moriah? You remember Abraham, he's told to go to the place where God will show him. He doesn't know where he's going. You remember where he winds up? Moriah. Does that mean anything to you? You know what Moriah is? Let me show you this. Somebody down here knows it. I like it. Second Chronicles 3.1, then Solomon, David's son, began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. I mean, look at this. The place where the temple is built in Jerusalem, ages before, is the place where Abraham nearly sacrifices his son because God told him to. Look at that. And then, of course, it's the place where the temple is built, which is where God dwells on earth. But we believe that in Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is the temple of God now on earth. You see the connection there? And then, of course, the story ends in 2214 on the mountain of the Lord, it'll be provided. And no Christian living on the other side of the cross in Easter could think of anything but Golgotha, the hill outside Jerusalem where Jesus dies on the mountain of the Lord, it'll be provided. But perhaps above all else is this line in 22:2: take your son, your only son, whom you love and sacrifice him. Which of course calls to mind what, Jesus, what God says about Jesus. Mark chapter one, this is my son whom I love. Or what is said about Jesus in John three sixteen, because God so loved the world, he gave his only son for us, his only son. Uh, the other day I was talking to a friend about this sermon and he said, Eric, if you were in Abraham's shoes, would you have done it? With one of your boys. And I said, don't ask me that. <laughs> don't ask me that. Because inside I know, and you probably know, there's probably a line somewhere you wouldn't cross, right? I mean, you, you're a person of great faith and you tell yourself, and I did too, there's nothing I wouldn't do for the Lord. God, I'm, I'm living my life in your service. There's nothing I wouldn't do for you. Don't ask me to do that. That's the line. I don't know that I could cross. Right. God does for us what he does not require Abraham to do. He crosses that unimaginable line for us. And so Paul, years later, reflects on this. And this is what he says in Romans 8. And this is what I want to leave you with. If, if God is for us, 
Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If God crossed that line out of love for you, there is nothing that can separate you from him. Some of you need to hear that today. If God crossed that line, his son, for you, what can separate you from his love? Nothing. Let's pray. God, we rejoice in what you have done for us in your son, Jesus Christ. You who have crossed that line for us, you, O oh Lord, the God who loves us, we thank you and we praise you above all else. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.